Please open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And let's take up with that 22nd verse that begins an application in our homes of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 5. We concluded in our first service with verse 21 that said, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Some of you with paragraph marks in your Bible will have a paragraph mark at the beginning of verse 21, even though it's a sentence that goes back into 20 and 19. Some of you, obviously those paragraph marks are not inspired. When you were in English class, you were taught that between paragraphs, you needed transitional sentences that would trans, that would move you from one subject to the next. And look at how the Holy Spirit tells us that a spirit-filled Christian, which we're given in verse 18, loves to sing and how they should sing in verse 19, loves to give thanks and how they should give thanks in verse 20, and that they should get along with others by fulfilling their roles where they need to submit. And that's in verse 21. And then immediately, because we have a transition here, we're leaving being different from the world while listing the world's sins into what the Lord expects us to live like in the home between husband and wife, the rest of this chapter, children and parents and fathers, the first four verses of the next chapter, how you work on the job and how you treat those that work for you, verses 5 through 8. This is the religion of Jesus Christ. Amen. We do not find a spirit-filled Christian in verse 18. There's nothing said about passing out tracts or volunteering for the mission field. Never. God will raise up men for the mission field. But then they'll be His men, and they'll do it His way. The key to the New Testament is, are we going to put into practice the religion of Jesus Christ where the rubber meets the road in our practical daily lives? It's easy to be a missionary compared to being a good wife and being a good husband. Because that is something you need to do 24-7. We just had read to us 1 Peter chapter 3, the first seven verses. And it said that a woman ought to adorn herself by being in subjection to her husband. That means a beautiful woman is a woman who has learned to be loyal and faithful and loving and submissive and helpful to her husband. A beautiful woman cannot make herself beautiful in a mirror. She cannot make herself beautiful with makeup, with curlers, or with any other effort like that. That is all a joke. A woman can make herself beautiful by being dedicated to her husband and fulfilling the role that God gave her. Before I get into the three verses that apply to women right, right here in Ephesians 5, I want to read to you from Titus 2. Just, just listen to this. What older women are to teach younger women. Older women are to teach younger women to be sober. To love their husbands. To love their children. To be discreet. Chaste. Keepers at home. Good. Obedient to their own husbands. Why? That the Word of God be not blasphemed. When a woman is unfaithful to her husband, when a woman disobeys her husband, 
When a woman is snotty to her husband, disrespectful to her husband, doesn't do what her husband wants her to do, doesn't submit to her husband, it gives occasion for the Word of God to be blasphemed because other people look at it and say, look at Christianity. It can't even make a marriage work right. Let's show them that Christianity works. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. This is the word of the Lord. This is not my word. This is the word of the Lord to each of you. And for these three verses, it's to you women that are married. It's to wives. Verse 21 says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then it immediately begins with those relationships where submission is to take place. We have a few minutes. Women, married women that are wives, look into the mirror of God's Word and see if we have some blemishes. You were all careful this morning to look into the mirror and get the sleep dirt out of your eyes. Wipe off the makeup that you left there from yesterday, hopefully. Put on some fresh makeup. Curl that hair that looked like a broom when you got out of bed. You were very careful about looking in that mirror and making sure you were presentable when you got to church. But that mirror doesn't even, that that mirror is nothing. That mirror is nothing compared to the mirror of God's Word. Listen now while I just take a couple of minutes for you to look into the mirror of God's Word about your role as a wife. If you have ever said, I do in your life, God has said some things to you. There is an order to the universe. I think you're thankful. I think you're thankful that the sun stays at 93 million miles away from the earth. If it got any closer, it would fry you like an egg in a pan. If it went any farther away... You would freeze to death. There is order in the universe. And it all works well. And there is order in a marriage. This is not the idea of Baptists. It's not the idea of Christians. This is the Word of God that created the man and then the woman. The woman is to submit to her husband. Verse 22. Wives, submit. Submit means to give up what you want to do and do what your husband wants to do. The man was made first. It's a man's world. God made the world and He put the man in it and He told the man to dress the garden that He had made. The world was for the man. Everything was wonderful. God came down and spoke with Adam. Adam spoke with God. Adam took care of the Garden of Eden. But Adam was lonely because he needed a woman. And so God made the woman second. And the Bible wants us to know that the order of creation is important. It's given in Genesis It's quoted in 1 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul said, that's the first reason women do not talk in a public assembly. Because the man was created first, and the woman second. When we go back and look at that order of creation, we find out why. She was made to be a helper to the man. A woman's life should revolve around her man. That is correct. You were made to be his helper. 
what your husband is doing, you help him do it. You say, I don't like what he does. Help him anyway. Because the next thing that is said is that in the transgression in Eden, the man knew what he was doing. Now, in one respect, that makes it worse. But in the respect of what we're talking about right now, God said it makes it better. The woman was totally deceived by the devil. She just thought that was the greatest sermon she'd ever heard when the devil preached to her in Eden. And so for reason number two, because the woman was deceived by the devil, the Lord put her under the, the authority of her husband even more. That is in Genesis, in Genesis 3.16, where God said, Your desire shall be to your husband, and he will rule over you. That is the word of the Lord. That's not my idea. It's not old-fashioned. It's not outdated. It is the word of God that abideth forever. God's words are settled forever in heaven and on earth. This is the truth of God's word. The New Testament quotes that and says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that's the second reason women shouldn't speak in a public assembly because they are so easily confused and deceived about what is right and wrong and what is truth and error. Submit. Submit in Genesis chapter 3 means your desire shall be to your husband and he shall rule over you. That's submission. We submit to our government. We pay taxes. We put on a shoulder harness even when we hate them sometimes because we submit to our government. Submission is part of this world working together and working smoothly. Whenever women revolt against this verb right here that tells them to submit, there will be trouble, unhappiness, and dysfunction in that home. You will give occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme because you are not a submissive wife. You say, but my husband likes to hunt. What an opportunity. What an opportunity for you as a wife to learn how to like to hunt. Thank the God of heaven that He gave you an opportunity to be a great woman. Because if your husband did everything that you like to do, you would never have an opportunity to submit. If your husband always did it your way, there is no submission. That's not submission. All you mothers that have children, you know how important it is for your children to submit to you. And yet, do you ever give your husband that kind of honor and show that kind of consistency? You want those little children to obey you, to cheerfully obey you, to cheerfully obey you thoroughly, to cheerfully obey you thoroughly without me asking again. Women know all about submission and authority. They just like to be on the authority end rather than the submission end. Women, humble yourself before the Word of God like the men are going to have to in a few minutes. And be good wives. A beautiful woman, and everyone gets to see it, is a woman that is dedicated, submissive, obedient, cheerfully in love with her husband. She starts out by submitting. Marriage works when there is submission. Marriage does not have to have love to work efficiently. Marriage has to have submission to work efficiently. When marriage has love, then it works gloriously. A nation... Citizens, a nation's citizens have to submit whether their ruler loves them or not. Or whether we love the ruler or not. We all did that for eight years a while ago, and then we did it for another eight years, didn't we? And we just keep doing it. If you're following me without me saying any names. 
A nation can get along with just pure submission and obedience to the authority of the government. When the government loves its citizens and takes care of them like a benevolent ruler, like King David, then it's glorious to be in a nation like that. My point is this. Marriage gets started. And marriage exists with its foundational level as a woman agreeing to submit to a man. I do. When David was made the king of Israel, the whole nation said, We submit to you as our king. With just one sentence, they said, You are king. Do you know what that did for David? It made him in charge of the armies of Israel. And then he could enforce his rule. Do you follow that? No man can enforce the rule that the Bible gives him unless a woman says, I do. And when you say, I do, and if your marriage was written by some pagan so-called Christian today, and it didn't include some of the terminology of the Bible, I am sorry, but it's too bad. You need to revise it. You could write your husband a wonderful letter this week that he gets in his lunch pail. I'll help you write the marriage covenant. There's some on our website. It says a little bit more than the Roman Catholic gobbledygook that priests have given out. Submit. Get down off your high horse. Forget all selfishness. Forget your life. Well, I need to have my life too. No, you need to help him have his life. And in helping him have his life, you will find your life. If you do it God's way, you will always win. To the degree, to the degree that you fight what your Creator designed for you as a woman, you are going to suffer yourself. You will not be happy. You will not be fulfilled. You will not have the blessing of God in your life. And you will give occasion for the religion of Jesus Christ to be ridiculed by your negative attitude towards your husband. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, reason number one, and help number one, as unto the Lord. Do it as to the Lord. Everything you do to your husband, do it as to the Lord, because the Lord created the office of husband, and He gave you the man you have in that office. For two reasons, do it as to the Lord. Everything a woman does, she can do it as if the Lord were doing it. Honey, Let's get up at 4 o'clock tomorrow morning and go hunting. Oh, what a nutcase. It's Saturday. I want to sleep till noon. I hope there's no women like that. Lord, I heard in that sermon that I'm supposed to submit to my husband as unto the Lord. That means that you just asked me, to get up and go hunting at 4 o'clock in the morning. That sounds exciting. I'll be there. I'll be there. And then you wake your husband up the next morning by getting up first and saying, let's go hunting. You say, I don't even like guns. Why don't you like guns? If your husband likes guns, you ought to like guns. I want to commend my mother. She was raised in a house that thought guns were tools of the devil. They didn't have a gun. They were Canadian pacifists. They hated guns. And then she meets my father. You know who's been shooting guns since he was a little boy? Hunting season, it was time to go do some damage somewhere and bring back some game. And I grew up in that household seeing the difference between the two of them. And all of you know what happens nowadays when they're 75 
mom and dad go hunting together and sit in the blind together and shoot the deer together and drag the deer together and get that thing up and in the trunk together and drive around to see the children and brag about their kill together. Yes, that's my mother. It wasn't always so. And the words of Jonathan on that subject are ended. Wives, look in the mirror. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. God knows the office He put over you, and God knows the man He put in the office. If we're going to believe in the sovereignty of God in this church, then we are going to believe in the sovereignty of God in bringing us the spouses we have. For you that are going to the couples retreat, here is the title for our weekend. Love the one you're with. The world says... If you can't be with the one you love, then love the one you're with. They're a bunch of fornicating, unclean, pagan animals. We love the one we're with because we know that the one we're with is the one that God raised up and in the countless billions of opportunities of women He could have brought our way or men He could have brought your way, He brought that one. You say, but I made the choice. Oh, you really think you made the choice? God made the choice for you. That is God's man for you. That is God's woman for you. Love the one you're with. It's the sovereignty of God that gave you the spouse that you have in the office that you have. It's the sovereignty of God that caused you to pass through the birth canal and come into this world and have a doctor say, It's a girl! It's a boy! All of that was determined by the God of heaven. And the God of heaven is pleased when you women will submit yourselves to your husbands. If you don't do it, You will have an unhappy husband, and that is not going to bode well for your future. If you don't do it, your children are going to resent you, especially your sons, because they are going to want to go out and get a wife that's different than you are, because they want a wife that adores them and loves them and submits to them. Your daughters are going to resent you because they're going to realize you don't know how to love a man, even though you are their mother. Other people are going to see it, and they're going to discredit the Word of God and Christianity because of the relationship you have with your husband. And if you say, but to me, I'm going to answer it with Ephesians 5.22. I don't care what your husband does. That has nothing to do with it ever. You say, but my, but what? Your husband isn't perfect? Is that what? Send your children to me. Because all you women that ever want to say, but, send your children to me, and I will give them 100 buts about you. I will tell them all the faults in your life and how you are such a frail and ridiculously deprived, they are deprived children because of the mother they have, and then we'll see if you like the word buts. And I'll teach your children how to say but. But I don't like your ideas. But I don't like you. But you're too overbearing. But you're this. But you're that. You want your children to obey you in spite of all those buts. You make sure you get rid of the buts in your life or your children are going to have them for you. There are no buts. God gave the office and God gave the man. And until the man is requiring you to offer yourself or offer your firstborn in an altar to Buddha in the backyard, submit to him. There are exceptions. When he starts building a little pot-bellied Buddha, then you can call the pastor and say, I can't go this far. And I'll say, okay, we finally have a problem that's worth talking about. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. The Lord did it. So the Lord gave you, He made you a woman. 
He made the office of husband over you, and he put the man in that office by arranging the circumstances of your life so that you met that man, and you loved him enough, and you promised in the sight of all sorts of witnesses and the sight of God that you would forever serve that man. You've already done it. You've committed yourself, and now the Word of God's reminding you about it. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. That's a pretty strong authority relationship that the Lord Jesus Christ has over the church. And that's the authority that husbands have over their wives. And he is the savior of the body. Not only does the Lord Jesus Christ rule over the church, but he does lots of beneficial things protecting that body and blessing it. And a woman, when she realizes her place, is thankful for the guy that does a whole lot of things for her in her life. Just like the Lord does for his body. Verse 24, therefore... Based on verses 22 and 23, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And that's why I said, not until you have the pot-bellied Buddha do I want to hear about a but. Because it says everything. And it says, as the church is subject to Christ. May I ask you women, how many times do we get to say but to the Lord? But I don't like singing. But I want a piano. But I like Christmas. But I like sprinkling better than immersion. But I like free will. How many buts do we get as a church in the face of God's Word? How many? None. What does the Bible say when you have an employer that's overbearing and hard on you? Does it say if you have an overbearing and hard employer, then you have the right to rebel? Then you have the right to go home and complain? It says, answer not again, Titus chapter 2. Do not open your mouth and say anything. It says, do not answer again there. In another place it says, obey anyway out of conscience toward God. Because if you are able to do it when you are being treated poorly, then you have done something thankworthy. If you have a good husband who treats you so well that it's easy to be a wife, you haven't done anything worthy of the praise of God. Go read First Peter chapter 2. It's not until you have a forward husband. Then you can show that you're a real wife. Then you can show some character. Then you can show some faith in God because you're going to have to lay hold of Him to do the job that God's called you to do, and that's to submit. If your husband's always wanting to do things your way and always thinking gently about everything you do as a couple... That's not submission. There isn't any submission in it at all. You're just along for the ride. Let's call it a vacation. Submission is a very different thing. That's when your husband asks you to do something you don't want to do. Some of you are going to get up and drive out of here, and the husband is going to be kind enough, maybe foolish enough. Let's say kind. I'll try to be gentle. The husband's going to be kind enough to say, where would you like to go to eat? And the wife, in her selfish little way, is going to say someplace that she likes because she's wiped out the hard drive that tells her where he, where he doesn't like to eat. And women are good at that. They can wipe out the hard drive of their database that has told them he didn't really like that place the last time he went to it. Well, I want to go to this place. And he gives a sigh, and she says, oh, what a... He just always creates problems. Well, then where do you want to go? And pretty soon there's this little discussion that's not very cheerful sounding, and we don't look like Christians to the little group of spectators in the back seat. And the little group of spectators in the back seat need to see two parents getting along very well and getting along cheerfully. 
You know, the, if a good wife can say, wherever you want to go. And then they have a real problem in a different direction. Well, no, where you want to go. And then he gets upset because he's finally asking for her to say. Now, when he gets upset and he's really pushing you that he wants you to make the choice, make the choice. Because, see, that's submission as well. He's telling you to make the choice. Brethren, we could go on and on and on. I have a manual at home that is a full two inches thick of single-spaced pages on all sorts of marriage discussions that we've had at couples' retreats that I've preached in sermons and I've provided in private to some of the couples that have been married. You're welcome to look. I'll, I'll copy the whole thing for you if you will help. All you need to do right now, wives, is ask, have I been as submissive as God wants me to be? And as I'm, am I as dedicated to the man God gave me as I should be? Or have I failed? Look in that mirror. See how ugly you are. Go home and get some makeup on. And the makeup is to repent before the God of heaven on your knees. And then repent to your husband and get this thing settled so that you can walk before the Lord as an obedient wife. Why is it so quiet? I didn't hear a single amen, and I know why. Because I just finished the 24th verse, and I'm about to start the 25th. Amen. There wasn't a single amen. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's a long sentence. It said, wives, submit. So the key to a woman's life, and there are other things, and they're found in Titus chapter 2, other things that a woman's to do beyond submission, but that's the main thing. That's what starts a marriage. That's what keeps a marriage going, is the woman being cooperative by submission. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll be happy to do that. I want to do that. I'll do it right away. I'll do it just the way you want me to do it. I'll be happy to do it. It's already done. Oh, now we've got ourselves a great woman. It's already done, sir. You say, sir, that doesn't belong in a marriage. I would choose sir over this one. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 6, you just had it read to you. What's it going to be? What does that verse say? Lord. Yes, my Lord. You say, that is so Neanderthal. Nobody can think that way. Holy women think that way. First Peter chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, that if you want to be like the holy women of old time, you will address your husband that way. When did Sarah call Abraham Lord? In her heart. When she talked to herself about her husband, She called him Lord in her heart. Husbands, love your wives. The women were given two reasons in three verses to submit. It's as unto the Lord. And it's like the church submits to Jesus Christ. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. And gave himself for it that he might present it to himself a glorious church. The woman being brought to the man and being told she was the man's helper started the marriage. But for the marriage to be glorious, Adam needed to love his wife. When a man in the intimate relationship of marriage just is overbearing on his wife and uses her like a servant helper... Rather than loving her, then the marriage declines from the glorious state that God created for it. And the standard, 
The standard that God gives men is the standard of Christ loving the church. Now, most times when it's preached, they only preach verse 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. But that isn't the end of a sentence. It goes on for two more verses. The reason I want to point this out, and I've pointed it out before, most preachers will stop with verse 25, and it leaves men and women confused as to the husband's role in the marriage. It says, husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Well, if I'm supposed to give myself for my wife, like Christ gave the church and he gave everything for the church, if I give everything, then the marriage will be reduced. Who Who's the marriage for? I thought you told me the woman was created for the man, not the man for the woman. And so there ends up being confusion If I'm giving all the time and giving everything, then there will be nothing for the woman to even submit to. That's because they misunderstand the passage by only looking at one verse rather than the three verses. If you continue to read, you find out what he gave and why he gave and what was the intent and what was the object of his giving. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, that he might sanctify. There was a purpose for his giving to make the church better. And a husband loves his wife to make his wife better. Verse 27, that he might present it to himself. Jesus Christ loved the church not because he felt sorry for the church. That wasn't his motivation. Jesus Christ loved the church because Jesus Christ wanted to present to himself a beautiful group of redeemed and sanctified people called the church. A husband is to love his wife with the eye of making her the best woman that he possibly can in order to present to himself throughout his life the best woman. That's the highest motivation you'll ever give a man of all. If you try to teach a man anything less than that, you're not even going to get his attention. This tells a man that he should love his wife like Jesus Christ loved the church, and by loving her, he takes care of her and builds her up and polishes her and provides for her in order to help her develop so that he can have the best wife going. The man who neglects his wife and doesn't love her, she turns into something that isn't very pleasant because it takes love to build a woman up. It takes love to polish that woman and cherish and nourish her as we're going to get into in a couple of verses here. And I'm out of time, but just give me a little bit more time. It's expandable today. We're redeeming the time. Instead of sending you home, we're preaching. We're exchanging. Verses verses 25 through 27... Our Jesus Christ loved the church in order to make the church as beautiful as possible so that in heaven He has this adoring bride that is devoted to Him throughout eternity singing His praises. And when you put it all together like that, then a husband understands perfectly where his giving ends and why he is to give. And it's to give in ways of loving her to build her up and polish her and make her happy and make her fulfilled and make her more able to be that that desirable wife that he wants. Because that's what Jesus Christ did with the church. That he might present it to himself, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Jesus Christ made us perfect for his own honor and glory and praise. Husbands should love their wives with the motivation. My investment in my wife and my building her up is to present to myself the most beautiful, the best wife there is on earth. That's the goal. But it's based in love. It's not based in rule. There is no man alive that can force a woman to submit. 
She may submit outwardly, but outwardly submission without heart submission is worse than no submission at all. I'd rather fight an enemy than have someone submit to me outwardly while their heart isn't submissive. All men know that they would rather not make love with a woman than to make love with a woman whose heart is not with them. Am I starting to get through? Outward performance does not cut it. Every woman in here knows that. Wait till your little children go do what you tell them to do with a toss of their head, but their heart is not in it. You all know exactly what I'm talking about. And every woman should be careful about that. The goal of husbands is to love their wives so that they get their wives' hearts so that in everything they do in the marriage relationship, they are presenting to themselves a cheerful, loving, happy, fulfilled wife by loving them. So, of all the things, you know, it doesn't say anything, make sure you bring home the bacon. Husbands, bring home the bacon. Husbands, make sure you lock the doors at night and have Smith & Wesson under the pillow. It doesn't say anything like that. That's not two men, ladies. <laughs> Smith & Wesson's a gun manufacturer. No, notice what it says. I love the Bible because it's so simple. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Husbands, love. Wives, submit. Husbands, love. Wives, submit. And we've got the foundation for a marriage, and there really doesn't need to be a whole lot more said if you look closely into that mirror and see if you're loving your wife like Christ loved the church to polish her up, build her up, praise her up, so that she can be the delightful wife that you want her to be because she is capable of being that if you will give her the love that God commands you to give her. Verse 20, that was one reason. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Second reason, verse 28, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. You ought to love your wife like you love your own body. You take care of your body well. You feed it well. You do not forget meals for your body generally. If you forget one, you make up for it at the next one. You always take care of your body. If one part of it's injured, the whole part of it shuts down. Your little stomach gets a little upset. You lay in bed. You rest the whole thing. You get a headache. Can I sit over here in the lazy boy for two hours and get over this headache? You take care of your bodies. The Lord knows that. The Lord's going to say no man ever yet hated his own body. I don't care about though. I don't care about bulimia. I don't care about suicide. Those people love their bodies too much. That's why they're obsessed about their bodies. It's not that they don't love their bodies. Men love their bodies, and so the Lord says, learn to love your wife like you love your own body. You take care of yourself. You want good clothes on it. You want good food in it. You want enough rest. You care for it. You protect it. You get owies just like your children. And you want to come home and tell mommy about your owies. I do. <laughs> we love our bodies. I love looking at this verse. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Do you know what the whole world is preaching because of men like James Dobson? He is preaching that for you to have a happy marriage, happy family, happy everything in life, you can solve all of life's problems. He does consider it a panacea for all relationship difficulties. You need to learn how to love yourself. Because these men that are humanistic psychologists, they do not fear God, they do not tremble before His Word, have read the verse, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And here is the mantra that has been preached for the last 50 years in this country. In order to learn how to love others, you have to first learn how to love yourself. 
Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so the mantra has been preached, you need to learn how to love yourself in order to be able to love others. If that's true, then in this verse, I should be preaching to all of you men, start loving your bodies, guys. Get in front of that mirror, you know, and do whatever you do that makes you happy. You know, I do that anymore and I say, pencil neck. It's pitiful. But, you know, we don't do that. Do you know why we don't do that? Because we already know that we've got a problem. Right. We already know that we love our bodies. And the Lord is just appealing to our love of our bodies to apply some of that love to our wives. Right. And that's what Jesus Christ was doing and God was doing in the Old Testament when He said to love your neighbor as yourself because He already knows that we love ourselves enough. If we would just give some of that love to our neighbors, it would be amazing how well we would treat them. Because we all treat ourselves very well. Oh, you get so defensive for you if anything goes wrong. But why don't you ever get so defensive for your neighbor when something goes wrong in their life? The point being, right back here, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. As you love your body, that's how you ought to love your wife. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Oh, now he's moving further. further. Because of the close relationship of a husband and a wife, and because God created the woman for the man, when you love your wife, you are loving yourself because she is what's going to make you happy. She is part of your body. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You love your wife, you are loving yourself because you're doing yourself a big favor. You're going to have a happy wife. And it's a commandment. It's not philosophizing about love. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. We nourish our bodies. That's what I meant by food. We take daily care of those bodies. And believe you me, every man in here wants to be fed the right things at the right time. And if he misses that, he makes up for it at the next feeding. Men nourish themselves. To nourish something is to provide something for its growth. You make sure that your body grows. Ugh, grunt. Go to the gym and work out. Eat right. You do those things for yourself. The Lord says, do those things for your wife. Nourish your wife like you nourish your body. You cherish your body. You love it. You treat it as a special thing. You protect it. You idealize it. You pamper it. You take naps. You take a nice cold drink. I'm thirsty. You cherish your body. And every man, everybody, every man should be able to think about what I'm saying. Those two things should be applied to wives. Nourish them and cherish them the same way you do your body. Nourish is to build your wife up and make her as much as she can be because you're loving yourself, it says in the last part of verse 28, by loving your wife. And then cherish her. Treat her as a special thing just like you do yourself. To cherish someone is to adore it, to, 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 uh, to idealize it, to make it a very special thing to you. Nourisheth and cherisheth it. And at that point, we have these words, even as the Lord, the church. Between verses 25 and 29, we were taught two things. Husbands ought to love their wives like Christ loved the church to make the church a glorious bride. Second, husbands ought to love their wives like they love their own bodies and nourish and cherish their wives in the way they nourish and cherish their own bodies. Then we move into these words, even as the Lord the church, and Paul takes an aside, he takes a rabbit trail, 
to preach a little bit about the relationship Jesus Christ has with the church. For we are members of His body. Who's, who is the His? Jesus Christ. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. Now, are we really part of His flesh and of His bones literally? No. The Apostle Paul is quoting from Genesis chapter 2 that you had read to you. Adam woke up and realized, I'm missing a rib. I've got a woman. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Paul's quoting those words from Genesis 2, but he's applying them to our relationship with Jesus Christ. He starts it in the last half of verse 29 by saying, Even as the Lord the church, for we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. He is not talking about marriage even in that 31st verse. He is talking about the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. He is still quoting from Genesis chapter 2 that was read to us. That's why he says in verse 32, this is a great mystery. There's no mystery about some guy leaving home and setting up a house at a new address. There's no mystery about that. Verse 31 is a description of Jesus Christ and the church that we are one flesh. It's a mystery. It is revealed by the gospel that the Lord Jesus Christ and the members of His church, the elect, you and me, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, are so tightly bound together in the estimation and the view of Almighty God that it is like marriage. And it's illustrated by marriage. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ like a a proper husband with his wife. It's better than a husband with his wife. Because this husband always loves, never forsakes, never fails, never leaves, is always there, and he's the Savior of the body. This is not talking about marriage. It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. We are told that with the words, even as the Lord, the church, and with the words in verse 32, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. I am not, there's no mystery in marriage. Marriage isn't mysterious at all. Not at all. It's a man and a woman creating a pact of companionship and sex and the creation of a family for as long as they shall live. There's no mystery to that at all. The mystery here is a revelation from God's Word that when we see a marriage and we, we, we hear the words, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, when we hear that a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they should be one flesh, that is a... That is that mysteriously declares to us the closeness that Jesus Christ has to each of us. The Lord Jesus Christ left His Father in heaven to come to earth to marry you, and He is one with you. We've already read that we are the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. There is a tight, close relationship that exceeds marriage, but it's shown by marriage that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul just chases that rabbit, and when he's going to end the rabbit, he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Then he says, nevertheless, getting back to his line of thought about husbands and wives, he says, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. But in between there, verses 29 through 32, we have a mystery that's... A mystery is not something we can't figure out. A mystery is something that would not be known unless God told us. And the close-knit relationship between Jesus Christ and His church is pictured by marriage. 
And there it is right there. The Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, heard the words from Genesis 2, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And he said, if you really want to, dip, if you want to dig deep, that's describing how close Jesus Christ is to his church. He heard the words, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two of them shall be one flesh. That's Jesus Christ and his church. You understand it as much as it's supposed to be understood by us. And that is that Jesus Christ and we have a very close relationship. He loves us with an everlasting love. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will provide everything we need. He is taking us to his home in glory. And that is a great mystery. Because it's unknown to men, but for God revealing it. Then Paul jumps back and reminds us, nevertheless, in spite of that mystery I just taught you, let every man love his own wife. Let every woman reverence her husband. To reverence your husband is more than submission. That's beyond submission. That is to submit to your husband with a cheerful and respectful attitude. To reverence your husband is to put him up and give him the most respect and esteem for his office. Reverence in the Bible is what children do for their fathers and what we're supposed to do for God. You know, I do not carry the title reverend, and I refuse it and will have nothing to do with it. And rightfully so. Holy and reverend is his name, the Bible says. But if, if a woman was ever to use the word reverend, she should use it as a title for her husband. You say, but he's not perfect. No husband is. Doesn't have a thing to do with it. Stop saying that, or I'm going to find your children, and I'm going to help them see all the imperfections in your life. Let the wife see that she reverence her husband. Let the husband love his wife, even as himself which has been explained. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. God has loved us, and this is how we follow Him. You know, the the second half of the chapter is a lot harder than the first, isn't it? We can skate by some of those verses that talk about covetousness, that talk about giving thanks, and singing, and those those kind of things. But see, now we've got to go home with our husbands and our wives, and we're all going to make a choice. Am I a spirit-filled Christian? Do I want to obey the Lord? Or am I going to fight and rebel against His Word? Wives, submit and reverence your husbands. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and like you love your own bodies. And may the Lord be magnified and His gospel defended by us practicing New Testament religion. It is so easy to talk about missions. And now we get to go home and practice what the Bible really wants us to do. We've looked in a mirror. What blemishes do you have? Look in the mirror of God's Word and humble yourself before it. Do not hear my voice this morning. Walk out of here and let's be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Right. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Amen.